Genesis chapter number 5. I want to read a few verses for my text uh, this morning, and then I'll get in with the message. Uh, you, you'll notice that we've got the projector going. I'm, I figured the thing out here the other day, and I... Uh, so uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to use it. Now, if this thing ends up being a flop, then we'll probably just quit using it. But we used it Wednesday night. It kind of went okay, so we'll see how it goes here this morning. But I've got something that I want you to see, and uh, I want to teach you some things this morning, uh, but I'm going to preach at the same time. That's what preaching does, isn't it? You just It teaches you. Preaching teaches. And uh, so anyhow, teaching can preach and preaching can teach. It does both, I guess. But uh, Genesis chapter number 5, and uh, let's begin reading in verse number 21. The Bible said, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God... And he was not, for God took him. I like that right there. The Bible said that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Uh, We don't know a whole lot about Enoch. We know a little bit about Enoch, but we don't know a whole lot. But what little bit we do know, we know a great deal about him, because the Bible said that he walked with God. Now, that says a whole lot right there. If you you say, yeah, I know a man and he or a woman, and he or she walks with God, that's a mouthful. And so we know that he, we, he, we know a lot about him from that point. But notice what the Bible says. The Bible said, and he was not, for God took him. So Enoch didn't die. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 5, it lets us know that, uh, that Enoch was, uh, he, he didn't see death, that he was translated, that he did not see death. He was taken from here up to heaven. So what Enoch does is Enoch pictures the church. Uh, Enoch is, if you will, raptured out. And one of these days, the church is going to be raptured out. You see, Enoch is a rapture. You see, what you've got in Genesis chapter 6 is you've got the flood. You've got Noah's flood. In Noah's flood, that pictures the Jew going through the tribulation period. Because you've got Enoch in chapter 5 who is raptured out of here, who pictures the church. So you've got the church going out of here prior to the tribulation period. And that's kind of what you see. If you look at that middle line across there on the wall, you'll see that's a timeline. And then so you've got the law, the church age, you've got Calvary there, then you've got the tribulation period, the millennium, and then eternity future. So I kind of have it laid out right there for you so that you can see as we go along this morning and preach the message. But in the Bible, God gives us a timeline of events. And we need to keep in mind today, uh, as we go along here, I'm just giving you kind of like a condensed version of this thing. We could break each one of these down and we could spend a service or two on each one of these. So this is kind of like a condensed version, if you will. But first you have the Old Testament. That's what you see right there. You have the Old Testament. Then you'll see Calvary shows up there in the picture. And then you'll see the church age shows up after that. And then you've got the tribulation period. And then you have what is called the millennium or the kingdom. And then you've got the eternity future. But notice between the church age and the tribulation period, you've got the rapture. The church goes up. Where are we going? Well, we're going to the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is not for everybody. We don't believe in one general judgment that if your good works outweigh your bad, you go to heaven. And if your bad works outweigh your good, then you go to hell. We believe that saved people today in this age are raptured out and they go up to what's called the judgment seat of Christ or you may have heard it being referred to as the beam seat. Uh, it's not That's not in the Bible. It's not your English Bible. But nonetheless, it's the judgment seat of Christ. Then there's the seven-year tribulation period, which I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in that because I could, I could say seven years or there's the potential being three and a half years if Jesus Christ's earthly ministry had fulfilled the first three and a half. 
Now that's wild right there. We won't talk about that. But you've got the judgment seat of Christ. It goes on during Daniel's 70th week, which is seven years there. And then at the end of that, you've got what's called the end. That's where Jesus Christ comes back and it's called the revelation. Uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ is in two parts. It's in the rapture and the revelation. How many of you have heard that before? Okay, so several of you have heard that before. So you've got the rapture and you've got the revelation. The revelation is Jesus Christ actually comes back down to this earth and then he sets up his kingdom on this earth called the millennium or the kingdom. And he'll rule and reign for a thousand years. And so uh, you've got the Lord sitting on that throne at that particular time. But what you've got at the beginning of that, which I didn't put it on there, uh, but you also have the judgment of the nations. That's after the tribulation period. Now, why is that important? That's important because in the tribulation period, how the Gentile nations treated that Jew depends on whether or not they get to go in the millennium. You ever wondered how the Gentile nations get into the millennium? How they're saved and get in there? You think, well, they just trust Jesus Christ and they get in there. No, there's a little more to it than that. The Gentile nations get into there because of how they treated Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ's brethren. You'll remember in Matthew chapter number 25, it's about the last 10 or 15 verses, the Bible tells us about the judgment of nations. It talks about the sheep nations and the goat nations. And those sheep nations are the ones that treated Israel good. They took Israel in, the Jew in, and they fed them and clothed them and gave them something to drink and took care of them and protected them from the Antichrist. Those are the sheep nations. But then the goat nations are the one, the nations, and America's heading that way, by the way. Uh, if, if the tribulation period were now, you would probably find America would be probably more anti-Jewish than pro-Jewish. And we'd be in a whole lot of trouble. But what you've got is the goat nations are on the left side, and those are the nations that did not take the Jew in. Did not Jesus say in Matthew chapter 25, they said, well, when did we see thee hungry or thirsty or naked, and we didn't clothe you or feed you or give you something to drink? And he says this, he replied, if when you have done it unto the least of one of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. You see, that was what was going on in the tribulation period. And so either you're a sheep nation or a goat nation that comes out of the tribulation period that gets to go into the millennium if you're a sheep nation. But if you're a goat nation, he says, depart from me, ye cursed and everlasting fire. Uh, I never knew you. You see, so you can't apply that to today to the individual because that's to a nation. The, the sheep are nations and the goats are nations. So you can't apply it to the individual. So I do want to make that doctrinal distinction right there that I think it's very important to make. So you've got this thousand-year reign that takes place after that. Then you've got what's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And the Great White Throne Judgment is where all of those, uh, the, the Bible talks about it in Revelation chapter number 20, that are going to, the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the book. And so that's where that takes place. That's a, that's after a thousand, that's, that's at least a thousand years away. That's not to be confused with the judgment seat of Christ. They're two different judgments. Now, God has a timeline. The next thing on God's timeline for the church age or for you and I is the rapture of the church. So we find back in the book of Genesis, you start out, you got the creation of man, you got the fall of man. Then what you have is you've got God telling a man in Genesis chapter number 6 to build a boat and to get on that boat. And so they get on the ark there and then they're preserved, uh, Noah and his wife and then their three sons and their three wives. It's eight souls were saved as by water, Peter says. And so you've got mankind preserved through that flood through the ark of Noah. And that was a global flood. It's not a local flood like some like to teach. The entire 
entire earth was in water at that time. And so then you've got also after that, you've got in Genesis chapter number 11, you've got God coming down from heaven. Why? Because man is building a tower. It's called the Tower of Babel. And, and the whole earth was had one language at that time. And so God comes down and he says, this thing ain't good. He said, what they're going to do is they're going to reject me. They're trying to build a tower up to heaven and they're trying to find some other way to heaven. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to scatter them abroad. And the way to do it is confound their language. That's why it's called Babel. You ever somebody they just babble all the time? Can't understand it, just babble. You just get to the point where you just don't even comprehend what they're saying because they're babbling, right? And that's where that comes from, babble. And uh, God confound their language there. So then you go on down through there and you hit the book of Ma- the, the last book of the Bible there, you hit Malachi. When you hit Malachi, then you've got 400 years of silence. God doesn't speak to man for 400 years and all of a sudden here comes the book of Matthew and Jesus Christ steps out and says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the king to the Jew. If he'll accept me, then I'll sit on the throne of David and that millennium will start. We know they rejected him, but the millennium, you know, that that kingdom would have started then, but they rejected it. And so what you have is you've got the only begotten son of God coming to this earth in the flesh and dying on the cross for all of mankind and all those things are past. Now, we've already gave you the things that are future there, the second advent, the rapture, the tribulation period, the second advent, and the judgment of nations, the millennium, the great white throne, all that is still future yet to come. I think it's important to teach people this. I believe it's important for you to have an understanding of what this is and what's next. You say, why? Because I believe that prophecy solves the problem of carnality. I believe that you'll be less carnal. If you and I know that our next stop is the judgment seat of Christ, how are you going to live right now? You're going to live a little cleaner, a little holier, right? If you know what's next. But if you don't know what's next, then what's the purpose in living holy and righteous? You see, so we have an aim, we have a goal, and that goal is we're headed to the judgment seat of Christ one of these days, and our good works and our bad works are going to be judged, uh, and whether they're gold, silver, precious stone, hay, wood, or stubble. So there's some big events that have already taken place, and there's some big events that are going to take place. And I'm, I'm not talking about Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and all of that stuff. I'm talking about the rapture of the church. I'm talking about those from that's been saved and born again from Pentecost to the, to the, uh, to the rapture that have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, dead or alive, is going to be called up out of here. This morning, if you're saved, if there has ever been a time when you've come in contact with the Holy Ghost of God and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going out of here. That's where you're going in the rapture, out of here one of these days. So I want to preach a message this morning that I've entitled, An Event That Is Out of This World. An event that is out of this world. You know, the rapture is an event that's it's going to take you out of this world. It's going to take you to another world. And God's promised this event in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Now, if you will, take your Bible. I'm going to give you point number 1 and turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And while you're turning there, I'll give you the point that we're going to look at the physical characteristics of His imminent return. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. We're going to look at the... Physical characteristics of his imminent return. That's, that means, imminent means it could happen any moment. It means that it is, it could happen right now. There's nothing in the Bible that needs to be fulfilled in order for Jesus Christ to come back at this very moment. Now in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 1, Paul says this. He says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I believe this morning that you and I are living in the last days. Paul even predicted that these last days shall come and when they come, it'll be perilous. Well, the word peril means danger. 
Well, what is perilous? Well, it means dangerous. So dangerous times shall come. There's been more wars in the past 100 years, somebody said, that's been fought in the past 100 years than any other time in world history put together. Much has been going on around the world, if you haven't noticed lately. There's a whole lot of wars being fought. I mean, you have North Korea that's been trying to start problems and things like that. Syria, Iran, we know about Afghanistan, we know about Pakistan, we know about India. We've heard about all kinds of wars. Israel isn't a battle. I mean, it's just constantly they're flying rockets over into their nation. We've got Russia and Ukraine right now as we speak that's in a battle and in a struggle. You've got China and Africa. China's going to play a huge part in biblical prophecy as far as that's concerned. You've had wars you've heard about in Africa. And so there's all kinds of wars that are going on. We're living in dangerous times. Don't think that America is not susceptible to wartime because we are. We've seen wars. We've seen World War One. We've seen two. We've seen Vietnam. We've seen a lot of wars down through the years and we're going to continue to see them if that Bible's right and I believe that it is. Now he says in verse number two, he says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a known thing, isn't it? I mean, men are selfish. They, you know, it's man for, it's me first, you know, that's men by nature are selfish. So men shall be lovers of their own selves. Notice he says covetous. Now I've never seen a day in my lifetime where covetousness is just rampant as it is today. I mean, maybe it's been, you know, worse than, than before I came along, but I've never seen it this as bad as it is today. You ever seen somebody love the almighty dollar like they do today? They'll sacrifice everything they've got, even their family, for money. The sad thing is we've got everything under the sun and we're still not content. I mean, we got everything. I mean, we've got vehicles that have got air conditioning in it. They've got leather seats, heated seats. They'll even cool you down. They've even got steering wheels now that'll heat up or cool down and that type of thing. I mean, we've got everything that you and I could think of as far as luxury goes, and we're still not satisfied, and we're still not content. You see, the love, this world has a love, and it's called, it's this selfie age is what we call it, isn't it? It's this thing where, you know, they, they do the duck face. You know, I'm not going to try to even do the duck face, but, uh, but they do the duck face and they post it all over social media and, and let everybody... Why do you even do the duck face? It doesn't even make sense to me. I have no idea. I guess you want to make you, your bone structure show and make yourself look like you're thinner than what you really are. <laughs> but, you know, 30 years after you graduate, you just, you're just lucky to be here, let alone, you know, having a skinny face. <laughs> uh, I've gained a little bit of weight along the way. But, you know, the, the world has a love for self. It's about good old number one. It's a dog-eat-dog world is what it is. It really is. The Bible said that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, if that's true, and it is true, what you've got is it's it's not that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. It's what a man or a woman will do in order to acquire the almighty dollar. That's where the evil comes in. I mean, what happened to the days when we'd help the saints of God out? What, would, what happened to the days when we'd help our neighbors out? You know, when we'd help a, you know, a, a co-worker out and that type of thing. What about elderly folks? I mean, nowadays it's just, we're just go, go back and forth and we've just kind of put the elderly folks in a nursing home and said, you know, you'll be fine where you're at. And they're just left there all to themselves, you know. And so what happened to the days when it was just, you did something, you helped somebody simply because they needed help without expecting anything in return. 
I mean, that is the very definition of what the word charity is. It, it's doing something out of love for somebody else without expecting anything in return, and that's charity. Uh, the other day, I got a phone call. I'd, I'd been at church. I'd been working here at the church all day, and uh, and I'd, I left uh, and got up to the house. I guess it was about four o'clock that afternoon. And uh, no sooner I walked in the door, I'd changed into some clothes. I was going to go out and mow and weed eat, and and uh, it, my yard, my lawn's always the last one to get it. And so I, you know, as soon as I walked in the door there, the phone rang and somebody said, Hey, can you come up here to the, you know, to the doctor's office and pick me up? You know, they think I've got an important health issue and it's life threatening and I don't have a ride. And I thought, Oh man. Okay. So I changed clothes. I hop back in the vehicle, drive up. And from my house, Princeton Community Hospital is like 30, 35 minutes away. So it's not just a hop and a skip and I'm there, you know. But you do those things to try to help people out. There's people in need. Now, there's some people, they wouldn't pick anybody up. Ah, no, let them, you know. But that's not the way we ought to be. You know, we ought to love one another. We ought to help each other out every now and then. But my point is, thank God that the day that you and I live in, there's still some folks, some good people that are still willing to help people without expecting anything in return. And so he says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous. Notice the word boasters in verse number two. You ever been around someone and all they do is just brag about themselves? I mean, just brag and brag and brag and brag. You think they'd end up with tennis elbows as much as they pat themselves on the back, right? I mean, they just brag and brag and brag. But the Bible teaches us that we're not to brag about ourselves. Actually, we're to let others brag on us. Let others, bo- let others praise you. That's the way it, it ought to be. The Bible said in Proverbs 27 and verse number two, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. So most of the time, what you're going to find is a lot of people that are bragging on themselves are just blowing a lot of hot air. (laughs) It's just full of a lot of hot air. You know, they could fill up balloons and they'd float up to the ceiling, that type of thing. They're just full of hot air. You ever talked with some people and they brag about all they've done, but it's been 20 years ago? They never brag on what they've done or what God's done for them now? Listen, let's stop bragging about what God has done for us 20 years ago. What's God done for you lately? Give Him a little praise for what He's done for you today. Do you have oxygen in your lungs? Do you have a heartbeat? I mean, can you see? Can you still walk? Hey, there's some folks who are walking around on canes right now that would love to have the legs in the back you've got, you know. We ought to be thankful for what you got while you've got it because one day God could take it away. You see, which that goes back to our point here in just a minute about being unthankful. We ought to be thankful. Do you know that most every problem that you and I have, it goes back to the fact that we're unthankful? That's where it all starts. It starts with unthankfulness. Notice he says in verse, uh, what is it? Verse number two, he says proud. That's folks that are, that, that, that have pride. Blasphemers, they're, they speak evil. Disobedient to parents. I think that's self-explanatory. Unthankful. There you go. Thank you very much. Right there it is. Uh, and then unholy. So, uh, down, down in verse number three, he said, without natural affection. You and I are living in a day where it's unnatural affection. You say, how do you know that? Because when you can look and you can see Washington, D.C. is full in the streets of people that are picketing for Congress to pass a law so that they can kill babies, that's unnatural affection. Killing babies is unnatural. I don't know. Leaving them in dumpsters and flushing the baby down the toilet when it's born, that's unnatural. But that's the day that you and I live in. It's unnatural affection. And uh, he says uh, unnatural affection in the passage there. He also says truce breakers. Folks don't, don't keep their promise anymore. Remember, your word was your bond, but not anymore. Now when you go to borrow money to buy a house, you know what you got to do? You got to sign a stack of papers that thick. 
Because people don't keep their promise anymore. He says in verse number three, false accusers. So people are going to falsely accuse. I'll tell you one good way uh, you can figure that one out. If you ever pastor a church, you'll figure that one out pretty quick. People make all kinds of accusations against you. Some of them false, maybe some of them true, but then also some of them are false. Uh, he says incontinent there. They just, uh, uh, they, they have no control, self-control whatsoever. Um, he says fierce, that means violent. Despisers of those that are good. And we've got those in churches all across America too, that despise good. I mean, there's people that are sitting in pews here this morning that wouldn't dare volunteer for anything or step up and do anything, but they'll, they don't mind sitting back and complaining about the other half that is actually doing something. I'd rather for somebody to do something and mess up and goof up than somebody sit back, well, I've never made a mistake. Yeah, that's because you don't do anything. You got to do something before you make a mistake. Are y'all all right this morning? Hey, we're preaching now, aren't we? And we're in the book. We're in the book. All right. So he says in verse number three, he says, despisers of those that are good. Verse number four, traitors, heady. Heady just means rash or rush, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive, silly or harmless women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust. You know what you can do right there next to verse number six? You can put television right next to it right there. Let's read that one again. That isn't so good. We'll read it again. For the, of this sort are they which creep into houses. And we, the television creeps into the house. And they lay, lead captive silly women laden with sins. Their days of lives are soap operas. Uh-oh. Did I just hit a snag? I guess I better get on the men. You men watch soap operas too. We used to call it WWF years ago. That's a man soap opera right there. Yeah. It goes both ways, don't it? You can put television right next to verse number six. Verse number seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's where we're at today. We're in that era right there where they're, they're ever learning. I mean, they've got knowledge. They've got colleges all over this country where people are learning, but they're not able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because why? Because colleges nowadays are anti-God or they're anti-Bible. You can have a, you know, you can have a, a Quran, you can have a, a Book of Mormon, you can have all that, but don't you dare have a King James Bible. You know, don't you dare say that you're a Christian. You could say you're anything else, but don't you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Cause if you do, you'll be persecuted in the day we live. He says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So I don't find in the Bible where things are supposed to get any better than what they are right now. You say, I think if we can just put people in office to make it, I don't think that's going to work. Now, I'm not God, okay? So I don't know the future. But I'm just saying, as I look at my Bible, and I study my Bible, and I read my Bible, I don't find where things are going to get better. I find where things are going to get worse. I think you ought to buckle up, because if the Lord doesn't come back soon, the church is going to be in for a big ride. Come over to chapter number 4, if you will, 2 Timothy chapter number 4. We're looking at some of these characteristics, these physical characteristics of things of uh, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter number 4, look at verse number 1. He said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. You know, that's what we're supposed to do, just preach the word. 
You say, well, you got to have this and you got to have that. No, just preach the word. Oh, you got to have dinners and you got to have pizza and you got to have bowling. Just preach the word. Nothing wrong with those things, but let's make sure we preach the word. Let's stick with what God says we're to stick with and we'll do okay. He says to be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And uh-oh, there's that divisional word. It divides everybody. Doctrine. Nowadays, people want to stay away from doctrine because it divides. It causes issues and and debates and arguments and things like that. Well, where the Bible speaks, I'm not afraid to step up and have a little debate about it. You know, sometimes I can go toe to toe. I I don't know. Maybe there's some people that know more Bible than I do, and I'm sure that there's somebody here this morning you know more Bible than I do. But I'm going to try to outdo you. I'm going to try to learn as much Bible as I can. I believe we ought to learn as much Bible as we can in the day we live in, because the Bible said, "To whom much is given, much shall be required." So you've got 66 books in this Bible right here and God's going to require it of every one of us. You say, well, I just, I haven't read it all. Well, God's still going to require it of you. He's going to require it of you. I promise you that. He's going to require you of that thing. So we've got in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 2, he said, preach the word and be instant in season, out of season, go on down through there, and doctrine. He says in verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You can preach anything, just don't preach doctrine nowadays. But you know what? The Bible puts a big emphasis on doctrine. He says that they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. Paul is telling Timothy, the pastor at the church of Ephesus, these things right here. And so these are characteristics of the things of the last days that people will not endure sound doctrine, but they'll walk after their own lusts. You know what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter number 3 and verse 3? He said, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, their own desires, their own wants, their own ways, their own will, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You know what God just told us right there in that passage? He just told us that there's going to come a day when people are going to say, you know what? I've heard Jesus Christ is returning all of my life. I'm just going to live my own life. I'm going to live after my own desires and my own lusts. Because after all, where is the promise? of His coming. And that's what it's like today. I've heard that all my life. But you know what? If we really believed, if people today really believed that Jesus Christ is coming back and He's going to rapture the church out and the saved person is going to the judgment seat of Christ, if we really believed that, then this church building would be full this morning. It really would. You and I are living in the last days. I believe that with all my heart, walking after their own lusts. People saying, I don't care what you say, preacher. I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, listen, I'm not saying it of my own self. I'm giving you what the Bible says. And if you don't want what the Bible says, that's on you, not on me. The Bible said every man shall give an account of himself. And so it's not on me. That's on the individual. Now, another mark of the last days is things will be like they were in the days of Noah. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37, we won't turn there for sake of time. The Bible said, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And so like, like the things were in the book of Genesis in Noah's day, that's the way it's going to be during the tribulation period. Now, if that's the way it's going to be in the tribulation period, and we see it right now already happening, how much closer are we to the coming of Jesus Christ? We're very close. 
We're on the precipice of that thing. In Genesis chapter 4 through 6, it describes the days leading up to the flood, which also describes much of today. Cain killed his brother, Abel. You know what that is? That's called murder. You know, it doesn't bother us now. We turn on the TV and we see murder. You'll hear that so many people in Chicago, 300 and some people have been killed in the first two or three months or something like that in Chicago, and we don't even blink and bat an eye. It doesn't bother us anymore. I mean, you know what? It used to be when you walked down the mall and you saw a a woman and a woman holding hands or a man and a man holding hands, you used to go, "Ah!" and you just, just walk on your way like that. Now you don't even bat an eye when you see it. You see it everywhere you turn, on advertisements, on TV. You see it out in public so much that it doesn't even bother you. You know what that does? It desensitizes us to it is what it does. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, the Bible says, Wickedness of man was great upon the earth. Wickedness, sin was great upon the earth. That's why God sent the flood. And you know what? Sin is great in this land too, in this country. Well, I mean, America and her morality is at an all-time low. If you haven't noticed, I'm sure you have. I'm just saying that rhetorically. But Matthew 25 and verse 13 says, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. What are you going to watch for? We're going to watch for the signs or the seasons and the characteristics and the marks of the coming of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 24 and verse number 4, he says, Take heed that no man deceive you. You know what you've got today? Deception is rampant, isn't it? I mean, it used to be that you could kind of turn the TV on, the local news, the world news, and you kind of understand that you're going to get some truth. Nowadays, you don't know what truth is when you turn the news on. The only thing you can do is say, this book right here that I hold in my hand is absolute truth and that's it. And anything the media puts out, you have no idea whether it's true or not. What's that? That's deception. That's deception. They, they've got an agenda and they're going to tweak that thing to fit their narrative. And so then in... Chapter 24 and verse 6, you've got wars and rumors of wars. During the tribulation period, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars if you're left behind. In chapter 24 and verse number 7, he talks about famines. You and I are living in a day, you talk about famines, when there's places in this country, in America, where there's shelves that are empty. They don't have bread or they don't have uh, water or eggs or something like that. And then the latest thing is they don't have baby formula. I didn't say... In North Korea, you know, I didn't say in India, I didn't say somewhere in Africa, I said in the United States of America, there are shelves that are bare. Hey, let's wake up this morning because I believe the return of Jesus Christ is imminent and if you don't get saved, you'll be left behind to bear out those bare shelves. You better get saved. The physical characteristics of His imminent return. How about pestilence? That's in verse number 7 of Matthew 24. The latest is COVID, isn't it? The latest that we know of is COVID. I've read that there's other kinds of diseases and sicknesses that are out there that's not even been identified yet. There's things that are floating. I'm not trying to scare you up or anything like that. just trying to give you some things here to make you think. There's different variants of COVID. There's different variants of the flu now. They've got flu that's attaching to other things. I mean, it's, it's the craziest thing you ever saw. The stomach bug comes with different things now. And God all knows what else is waiting out there for us to breathe in or to contract. I mean, we have no idea. We know it's in the Lord's hands for sure. But man, if you're not saved, I tell you what, you better get saved today. Don't allow this stuff to harden your heart towards God, but you allow it to turn you to God. That's what you ought to do. And then in verse number 7, he mentions earthquakes in divers places. Well, we know that there's been an increase in earthquakes. Uh, The context of Matthew 24 is the tribulation period. So if all those things take place in the tribulation period, but we see it right now, 
then how much closer are we to the coming of Jesus Christ? I think that's a very good point to make. Number two, we not only see the characteristics, but we also see the people of the rapture. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're in Timothy, you'll turn to your left. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, can I say that saved people have a hope? Saved people, the believer, has a hope. If you're saved this morning, you have hope. But if you're not saved, you don't have hope. He says in verse number 14, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. I like that verse because it tells me that Jesus is God. It said that God will bring with Him. Well, we know the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. It's telling you about the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. And so, but He says there, if we believe, what well, do you believe? Then you've got hope because He's coming back to take you with Him, according to verse number 14. This is called our blessed hope. The blessed hope that Paul talks about here is the coming of Jesus Christ for the church. A sinner doesn't have this hope. You don't have the hope of Jesus Christ coming down and taking you with Him when He goes back up uh, to wherever it is where the judgment seat of Christ is going to be. Therefore, when it comes to death, you know what an unsaved person will do? They'll grieve differently than a saved person. Saved people and unsaved people do not grieve the same way. And that's what he tells you in verse 13. He said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which sorrow, which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. You don't have to grieve and sorrow like those that have no hope, according to the Bible. Isn't that great news? That, well, because you've got hope this morning. If you're not saved and your loved one dies, that's it. You don't get a second chance. If they're saved and you're not saved and you die lost, you'll never get to see your saved loved ones ever, ever again. You'll be left behind if the rapture takes place or if you die, the Bible tells you that you'll be taken to hell. And that's where you'll spend the rest of eternity. Saved people don't have to grieve like unsaved people. You see, when a saved person dies and you're saved, even though we grieve, there's still a peace to know that you'll see them again. When you're holding your loved one's hand and they take their last breath, you know what you can do? You can say, I'll see you later. There's a peace and a comfort that comes with that, knowing that you, you'll get to see your loved one again one of these days. A lost man doesn't have that hope like a saved man does because they don't have the same promise. In verse number 13, you're going to notice, or in this passage, you're going to notice that there's two groups of people. Notice in verse number, uh, in verse number 13, there's those that are asleep. He's talking about saved people, those that are asleep. And these are the ones who are saved, they're dead, and they're in the grave, they're in the ground, but they've accepted Jesus Christ before they died. Their body is waiting on the Lord Jesus Christ's return to take them up off this earth, and they'll rise. That's how you know the rapture can be actually a resurrection because the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's a resurrection. And so I'm talking about our friends and our loved ones that are dead in Christ from Pentecost to the rapture. When the Lord comes back one of these days, those loved ones that have died and gone on are going to come up out of the grave. That's good news for you and I. And that's every saved person from Pentecost to the rapture is going to come up out of that grave. And he says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that you get that victory. It's not through your good works or your good deeds. It's not through being a good little person or being a good morally person. It is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that you go up out of here or you don't go at all. That's the sad fact about the thing is that there's those that will not go. They refuse. 
Notice the second group. We notice the first group in thirteen, verse 13 is those that are asleep. But the second group is found in verse 15. He says, we which are alive and remain. Now, he's talking about saved people. He says, we... And so he's referring to himself and he says, brethren, in verse number, I believe it's verse number 13. And so that means saved, eating, breathing, living people is who he's referring to. We which are alive and remain. And this is the next biggest event where the people of God are looking forward to this day. We call it the rapture. Galatians 5, 5, Paul says, for we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Well, who's the hope of righteousness? Well, that's Jesus Christ. We're waiting on Him. Lord, we're prepared. We're ready to go, man. If the Lord comes back right now, there should not be one thing holding you back to say, Woohoo! Hallelujah! Glory to God! I'm out of here. There shouldn't be anything to hold us back. You say, well, I've got a job. I'm really looking to get married. I really haven't had a baby. I'd like to have a child. And Listen, I wouldn't let anything hold me back, man. I'm out of here. When that trumpet sounds, we're out of here. When that shout takes place, we're out of here. Amen? When Jesus Christ descends, we are going out of here. Paul said to Titus, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that hope is the return for His bride, the church. And then last of all, number three, let's notice the pitifulness of the rapture. The pitifulness, the sorrowness of the rapture. Notice in verse number 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. So we see others which have no hope. The unsaved have no hope. Now down through the years, I've preached many funerals. I found that at funerals of saved people is a whole lot easier to preach than funerals of unsaved people. A whole lot easier to talk to a crowd of folks and say, this brother or sister that's right here before you is... It's just a shell and, and they're sold. Be absent from the bodies. Be present with the Lord. What comfort that you can offer somebody that way? But if they're lost or you don't know where they're at, it's not a whole lot of comfort you can offer the family. Basically, all you can do is just try to be a blessing to them and just try to reach some folks with Jesus Christ and try to be a blessing to that family. That's all you can do in many cases. Once the Lord comes and you die without Christ, it's over. There's no second chances. I mean, once it's done, once you draw your last breath and you check out of here, either you received Christ or you didn't, either you're saved or you're lost, there's no going back and redoing it. There's no purgatory. I don't care what the Catholics teach. There's no in-between place where you can be prayed up to heaven. There's no place. There's no... That's foreign to the Bible. That's foreign to the Bible. You can't give enough money to the church in order to get your loved ones out of purgatory because there is no such place. You remember, you read over there in Luke chapter number 16 that when the rich man died, the Bible says immediately, the Bible says the very next thing it says, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. There is no in-between place. You see, Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. He went to paradise immediately. There is no in-between. Now, verse number 15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them. The word prevent means pre-event. It means we're not going to go before them, and they're not going to go before us. He says, shall not prevent them which are asleep. These are the ones that are going out of here. People that are not saved will be left behind, and this is why we must tell others about Jesus Christ. Because if not, they're not going your family and your friends, they'll be left behind. Your co-workers, your neighbors, they'll be left behind. Even some church members. Yeah, just because you're a member of a church doesn't make you saved. Mm. 
No more than you step in a garage makes you a car. Revelation 20 and verse number 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 21, 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's why we tell others about Jesus Christ because there's a place called the lake of fire. In Revelation 20 and verses 11 through 15, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, it says in verse number 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. One of these days, a person is going to stand before God God at the great white throne judgment and God is going to judge their works. It's going to do them no good if they're out of the church age because if they've rejected Jesus Christ, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And that's where they'll spend all eternity. One day people might even, you're, you're, you might even be there at that time when the unsaved are judged or at the, with the great white throne judgment and you're going to be there and somebody's going to look at you and say, well, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? Why didn't you tell me about your Savior? Hey, you, you come to work and you bragged about that nice, beautiful building that you go to and you worship in. And, and you come to uh, work on Monday morning and you brag on how good the services were on Sunday, but you never once invited me or told me about Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Oh, the sinner's probably going to try to throw blame at everybody that they possibly can. You said that you had the Word of God, but you never told me about Jesus. You said you were a member of East River Baptist Church, but you never told me about Jesus Mom, why haven't you told your daughters about Jesus? Why didn't you teach them about Jesus? You taught them how to sew. You taught them how to cook. You taught them how to clean. But you never taught them about Jesus. And one of these days, they're going to look at you and say, Why didn't you tell me? Hey, Daddy, you taught your boys how to throw a basketball or how to shoot a basketball or how to throw a baseball. You taught them how to work on a car, how to be a mechanic. You taught them how to do plumbing and to be a carpenter and those types of, of things. But you never once took them to church and told them about Jesus. Why, Daddy? Why didn't you tell them about Jesus? And when the rapture takes place, it'll be too late and they will be left behind. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse number 44, For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. You see, the rapture is an event that is out of this world. So the question here this morning is when it takes place, will you be going or will you be left behind?